thanksgiving. And every believer in Jesus Christ has so much to be Regardless of our material circumstances or our family situation, we have each been given a hope and a future. Forgiveness for our sins, cleansing for pain, freedom from guilt, the certainty of eternal life in the presence of God and the very Spirit of God Himself living in our hearts every single day. On Thursday, I sincerely hope that we will each set aside a meaningful amount of time to give thanks for the blessings of the past year and for which blessings that we enjoy experience during Christ and Christ. But I am a realist, and I recognize for most of us that our day is not just going to be about thankfulness, and after we have our time of, of reflection and thanksgiving, we are going to get busy with the, the three major events of thanksgiving in America. Eating to excess, shopping to excess, and watching football to excess. But on the food side, we're going to be enjoying mountains. Turkey and dressing and piles of potatoes and gravy and, and every kind of casserole you can imagine sweet potato and green bean and a creepy purple stuff in the can. And then pops, pops, mock pie, apple pie, pumpkin pie, sweet potato pie, you can in a pie for And recognizing the, the pressure, if you will, of this situation, this week Stove Top helpfully unveiled. Special Thanksgiving dinner pants. These are stylish and stretchy maroon pants, one size apparently doesn't fall. Has an enormous elastic waistband with a print of stuffing on it. Uh, the pockets are huge for all the outdoors, they are also in the stuffing pocket. Astonishingly, these are actually real apparently, and they are sold out online. <laughs> I was seriously hoping the public would have a pair, but it seems like it's not. Look, all this fall, we're looking at how to train yourself for godliness, as Paul commands in 1 Timothy 4 7. And I don't think it's an accident that as we are preparing for gluttonous excess in this week, our, our study of the classic spiritual habits and the way that it works through the book of Nehemiah has brought us today to my least favorite spiritual habit fasting. If you look at habits for several weeks now, they're modeled and recommended in scripture that the things that believers have relied on for seizures to, to be brought closer to God and to become. Uh, to work in cooperation with the Holy Spirit, be transformed into the very likeness of Jesus Christ. And so far in this series, I've enjoyed all of the doctrine of the things I love to do. We have talked about body prayer. We have talked about godly prayer. We have talked about godly worship. We have talked about the embrace of God's word. These are all things that I have learned to love more and more with each passing word, uh, each passing year. But today, we encounter a practice that is mentioned in Scripture more often than baptism, and yet it has largely disappeared from the landscape of, of Christian life in America. Fasting is certainly a habit that I struggle with. It's one that I think is daunting for many Christians. We often have a litany of excuses why we can't participate 
But just because it is difficult and, and unappealing doesn't mean that we should not talk about it. Because while fasting is never commanded for Christians, it is nonetheless clearly expected of us. You see, Jesus gave us instructions for when you fast, not if you fast or should you happen to fast. So what does this mean for us as New Testament believers? What does godly fasting look like in 21st century America? Well, in order to come to a biblical understanding of godly fasting, we're going to look this morning at several different passages, and we're going to begin with the congregational fast, the national fast that took place during that intense period of revitalization that is described for us in the book of Nehemiah. These are the events we've been unpacking all uh, this fall, has been looking at these habits that really have been the habits of God's people for, for over 2,500 years. And our passage this morning is Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. Now, as we seek to gain a biblical understanding of fasting, we're going to look at several different kinds of fasts described in the Bible. We'll be looking both the fasting in Israel that I just read to you about from Nehemiah, as well as fasting in the church. Now, in Nehemiah chapter 9, the Israelites, we know, are already well on their way towards being rebuilt as the people of God. After centuries of disobedience, after decades of exile, we have studied how they have given generously to the work of God, how they have prayed intensely, how they have listened to the great reading of God's law. We've seen how they've engaged in small group Bible studies and how they've worshipped the living God of Israel as a united people. And here on the 24th day of the seventh month, it has been a super busy month for them. Like if you read what we, see, what we read from chapter 8 on, it's all taking place in a one month span. They have gathered once again as a people. And verse 1 says that before they gathered before the Lord, they came hungry, wearing rough clothing, and, and covered in dirt. And this sounds kind of weird to us, but the point is not that it's a, some weird ritual of personal suffering or humiliation. They had a reason for this. And verse 2 explains their purpose. We see that the Israelites stand as one, and they confess their sins, their, their personal sins, and then their collective sins, the, the historical sins of the nation of Israel. They had been fasting and they humbled themselves in order to prepare to acknowledge all of the ways in which they had historically fallen short of the glory and the standard of God. So that they would move forward as a more faithful and obedient people. And so the fasting and the sackcloth and the, and the dirt were all ways to express and to experience Humility before the Lord. And I would encourage you to read the rest of chapter 9 this afternoon. It won't take you a super long time. It's a fantastic prayer. We don't have time to read it all. But what you're going to see unfold over the rest of chapter 9 is, is the culmination of their preparation 
as they are as they listen to God's word and then as they as they pray and they they praise the Lord for his tremendous works throughout history and his his faithfulness and his patience for their sin and their mess and they confess their collective sin and they they commit themselves to lives of humble obedience. And verse 3 describes just how long this went on. It says they spent a quarter of their day learning God's word and then uh, hearing it read. And then they spent a quarter of their day confessing and worshiping God. And the, and the Jewish day is typically described as 12 hours. So I am interpreting this as they put in about six hours while hungry, <coughs> worshiping the Lord. So as we approach lunchtime, just a little perspective for us. But it's critical to note, their fasting wasn't some end in itself. They, they didn't just fast in order to fast or to, to put on some show. They, they fasted as preparation for humility and confession and worship and self-discipline. And so here the people of God have come together and they are hungry and they are humble and they are standing for a six-hour worship service. This was the purpose of fasting to be more engaged, to be more involved in that worship experience. But that's not the only place we see the people of God fasting. And I want to particularly look at some New Testament examples because they they can serve as an enlightening example for us as, as New Testament believers. Because there are no mandatory fasts for Christians. And yet the New Testament speaks often of fasting and includes several examples of the early church fasting. So as faithful followers of Jesus Christ, we need to acknowledge this. We need to acknowledge the reality of these passages and not just just skim over them. And we need to to wrestle with their significance to determine what does this mean for us? What is the proper role of fasting in our spiritual lives? In Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, Jesus says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In Mark chapter 2, verse 20 When he is speaking to his disciples, Jesus says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. Jesus expected his followers to fast after his departure. He promised that godly fasting will be rewarded by the Lord. And so if fasting is not a regular part of your spiritual life, and it's it's not for me, right? I'm going to be honest with you. We need to be evaluating why not. Jesus himself fasted in the wilderness for 40 days, but I don't recommend that to anyone here. But Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, gives us a very good example of the church at Antioch. And they are fasting as a congregation, and what they they experience as they fast has tremendous impact for the kingdom of God. Luke says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Apart from the coming of Jesus Christ, this is probably the most influential historical event in the history of the Western world. The commissioning of Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. As this congregation fasted, God's Spirit clearly spoke to them 
and the world was changed forever. Centuries of Christians have been blessed by fasting. They found that it, it focuses them more intensely and more closely on God. It helps them draw nearer to Him in worship and prayer. So as people who desire to draw closer to God, to live lives increasingly like Jesus Christ Himself, we, we need to really engage with this habit of godly fasting and, and determine what it looks like for us and discern how to use it properly as a tool for training ourselves in righteousness, in godliness. What can we learn from Nehemiah and, and elsewhere in Scripture about both the process of godly fasting and the purpose of godly fasting so we can begin to, to apply it appropriately in our spiritual lives? Well, first, let's consider the process of godly fasting. What does it mean to fast biblically? What does it mean to fast in a godly manner? How do we do it? Well, in the Bible, fasting always describes voluntarily giving up food. Sometimes, or usually, it's about giving it up altogether, but sometimes it's also about intentionally altering what you eat for a period of time. But, but the important thing is it's always for a spiritual purpose. Biblical fasting always involves either giving up all of your food and drink other than water, or, or it's about following a modified diet that consists of very small portions or, or very plain foods for a period of time. But but regardless of the form, during the fast, spiritual activities like prayer and worship are emphasized. So as you consider fasting in your spiritual life, it, you need to determine whether your medical condition permits a total fast or instead it's sort of guiding you towards a, a period of instead smaller portions or, or alternate kinds of foods, very plain foods. Uh, we see in the Bible partial fasts like the the vegetables and water diet we see in the book of Daniel chapter 1 that Philip was talking about. And they can accomplish the same spiritual purpose as a total fast. Because ultimately the point of fasting is not about some rules and procedures. It's not a legalistic thing. We are freed from all that. But it is about experiencing notable pangs of hunger, notable cravings for, for food that are useful to remind us for our, of our purpose. Why are we doing that? That are useful, that we can harness to remind us to do this, that acronym that, that Philip provided earlier, to pray, to pray, to confess, to worship. Now, procedurally, are there other forms of fasting besides giving up food? Well, biblical fasting always involves food, but I do think that there are other forms of self-discipline or self-denial that can bring us closer to God. If there are things in our lives on which we are heavily reliant, and where if we voluntarily went without it for a period of time, we would have a sense of craving and, and loss, then, then yes, I would encourage you to consider fasting from those things on occasion as well. Use those pangs and cravings to remind you to pray and praise and confess and worship. I think there is such a thing, such a place as fasting from Facebook or Instagram or your iPhone or your TV or Xbox. And every biblical principle and, and practice that I'm highlighting this morning can be applied to a non-food fast. But, but I will be speaking specifically in terms of food-based fasting. Because that is the example everywhere in Scripture. That is the example of the early church. And I do believe that dietary fasting has a place in training ourselves for godliness. 
regardless of your form of fast, whether it's technological or dietary, whether it is total or partial, the point is it should represent sacrifice. It should induce enough discomfort that it frequently reminds you why you're fasting. As Jesus clearly said, when you fast, though, we have to be careful, right? It is uncomfortable. It's what Philip described. When you fast, though, Jesus says, don't complain about it. Don't grandstand about it. Don't tweet about it. Don't throw it on your Facebook feed. Don't tell stories about it at work in order to get people's sympathy or their admiration. Right? Jesus said, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. That is sort of basic hygiene to look happy and healthy when you live in the desert. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who sees in secret. Fasting is between you and God. Now, if you want to quietly share your experiences with other believers afterwards as a, as a way of encouraging or, or edifying or, or learning, that's fine. But, but don't do it to make yourself look like a super Christian. Fasting doesn't save us. Fasting doesn't give us some sort of special holiness. So don't act like it does. Rather, godly fasting is rooted in our existing relationship with Jesus Christ. And it is simply a tool to help us draw closer to Him. And that really brings us to the purpose of godly fasting. You see, in the Bible, there is always a reason for a fast. There is always a purpose. That is that replacement principle that Philip talked about when he was discussing fasting, right? You don't just give up. You're, you're giving up for a purpose to replace with something in your life. If you don't have a purpose when you fast, it's miserable. It's not godly, it's just dumb. Right? All it does is make you miserable. Trust me, pointless fasting is miserable. It will make you resentful of the whole process. Uh, I did have an assignment in one class that was involved a pointless fast, just to make sure we understood that it's important to have a purpose. That pointless fasting, misery, self-inflicted misery, that's not Christ's desire for us when he lays out the expectation that we would be a fasting people. So what are some biblical purposes for fasting? I, I want to go ahead and highlight four common ones that realize there are more biblical purposes for fasting. But, but each of these purposes is drawn from the example of Scripture. And let's be very clear here, right? You can fast for non-biblical reasons. Heck, many of us fast for medical reasons on an annual basis or, or more often. But that's not really an exercise in godliness. Right, Godly fasting will always be based on, on the example of Scripture. It will always have a purpose that's been revealed in God's Word. And probably the most common purpose for godly fasting is one that is demonstrated both in Nehemiah chapter 1 and chapter 9, the passage I read this morning. And that is to strengthen and intensify our prayers. You see, there's, there's something about fasting that changes the way that we pray, that that brings us a focus and a, a frequency and a, and a fervency that often lacks in our daily prayer life. Because, because here we are, we're giving something up, we're getting all hangry and, 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 and feeling pain, and we're like, why am I doing this? Oh yeah, to pray. So, so you pray more. If you're going to go through pain, it gets you motivated to do the thing you're, you're going through it for. By making the conscious choice to abstain from food and focus on prayer, we we become more motivated about that prayer. And we, what you see is that as we are locked into God, we are moving closer to that ideal of, of pray continually. 
pray without ceasing that we see in 1 Thessalonians 5. You see, the fasting can become a tool when you fast to intensify prayer. You, you can use every pang of hunger, every craving for food as, as a reminder to stop everything and pray. Our stomach becomes a continuous call to prayer. Right? You might be feeling that call right now. It's okay to pray while I talk. In addition, we free up breakfast time because now we've got more time that we can devote to praise and the worship of God. And then instead of using lunchtime to fill our bellies and load up on the latest office gossip, instead we, we can spend time meditating on the wonders of the gospel. Our fast can become a time where we can reflect more deeply on the goodness of a perfect and holy God against whom we rebel on an almost daily basis. As we hunger, we can rejoice that in His great love and His great mercy toward us that God has provided a means for us to be forgiven and free, to be restored into relationship with Him, not just today, but every day for the rest of eternity. The hunger in our belly can fuel a hunger to, to know better the eternal Son of God, the one who, who chose to enter into our world and, and take on a human nature and, and experience every kind of temptation and, and suffering, and yet to live a perfect life, and not, not just to be an example for us, but to be the perfect sacrifice required to pay the debt of our guilt and our sin. And to bear the terrible anger of God for that sin on Himself and take it to the cross so that we as believers in Jesus Christ never have to experience that anger from God. That is way more productive than my normal lunch break. In the Bible, we also see fasting as a, as a technique to specifically help us pray and discern the will of God in our lives and in the lives of, of our, our church. As Paul was working to plant new churches, he was faced with, with this tremendous challenge, right? You have a bunch of people who are brand new believers, and I guarantee you none of them went to seminary. So who's supposed to be the pastor? Who can lead a group of brand new Christians when he's a brand new Christian himself? Well, Acts 14.23 explains that fasting and prayer were essential for identifying these pastors and launching their ministry. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believed. There is a place for fasting at key junctures in the life of the church and in the life of us as Christians. As you weigh difficult decisions, as you consider career changes or, or employment changes, as you make school choices, as you evaluate where to get involved in ministry, I encourage you to, to take fasting seriously as part of your process of prayer and discernment. If you haven't yet discerned where your place is in the 2020 vision for Lake Ridge Baptist Church, I would encourage you, this is the perfect time over the next few weeks to, to put in a time of fasting and prayer as we head into the new year and prepare to shift this vision into a higher gear. Now, a third biblical reason or purpose for fasting was illustrated perfectly in this morning's passage. And that is to humble ourselves and to, to express grief for our sins or for the sins of, of someone we love and care about. Fasting for this purpose harnesses those pangs of hunger as an ongoing reminder to repent of our sins or to intercede on behalf of someone we love who is, who is very distant from the Lord, that they would come to repentance. When we realize that we or that they have been living in defiance of God and that 
that even as believers in Jesus Christ, we are so often stubbornly insisting on doing things our own way and, and trying to approach God on our terms, trying to save ourselves. That a season of fasting and prayer is a great way to bring us to our knees before the Lord, just as we saw the Israelites do in chapter 9. As we experience those pangs and that, that weakness of our human body, what Philip was talking about when he goes out to try to run in the snow while he's only been on vegetables and water, we realize just how weak we are, our, our slavish need for food, and we're reminded we are small and weak, and yet our God is great and mighty and powerful and glorious. And as our stomachs remind us that we are small and, and we remember that our God is great, we have the opportunity to more richly embrace the glorious truth of the Gospel. That for those who have trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, God is always ready to embrace us and forgive us when we turn to Him in repentance. One final biblical purpose for fasting I want to highlight this morning is to seek deliverance or protection from persecution or spiritual attack. As you grow in faithfulness to the example and leadership of Christ, you should expect to come under spiritual attack. You should expect strange things start to happening in your life, in your professional life, in your family life. As we as a church move into the vision that God has laid before us, we should expect increasing opposition not only from the world, but spiritual attack from the adversary. And I would say that we are beginning to see both of those. Because while the devil delights in an ineffective church, he hates an effective one. As we increase in our ministry effectiveness, we should expect spiritual attack. And, and fasting and prayer are a powerful way to acknowledge our own weakness. Right? We can't even run a mile on a limited diet. Much less protect ourselves from the adversary. And so we submit fully to our Lord and Savior to guard us and protect us individually and as a church. And so we have considered this morning Christ's expectation for godly fasting. We have considered the process of godly fasting. We have, we have thought about some of the purposes for godly fasting. And so I want to offer a simple challenge today. Because I will assume that most of you are like me and you don't routinely fast for spiritual purposes. Again, I fasted a couple of times this year. I fasted a few times in the past, but it is not a regular or habitual part of my life. And so I invite you to join me this morning in committing to fast one time between now and the end of the year. Six weeks, thereabouts. Choose a day that will work for you. Right? I don't advise it to be the day you're, you're, you're out on lumberjack duty. Right? You're going to have a Philip kind of experience there. But find a day that will work for you. Choose for you a form and a duration of dietary fast that is appropriate for your, your medical condition, that is safe. And then choose a purpose for your fast, whether that's intense prayer, whether it is discernment, whether it's confession, whether it is, it is uh, protection and deliverance, and then just fast. And then I invite you to, to not only commit with me to do this over the next six weeks, but as you have the opportunity to just come and share your experience with me, and I'll, I'll share mine with yours, and, and I think we'll be encouraged together as we, as we share and, and try to incorporate and see what it looks like to incorporate this habit, this ancient habit that has been part of God's people for, for more than 2,000 years into our very modern Christian walk. Would you please pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, we celebrate Your great grace and mercy. Your overwhelming abundance of love for us that, that You have provided for us. Even as we are in our own depths of sin and, and failure, You provided for us Your eternal Son to be the perfect sacrifice. To pay the penalty for our sins that we are incapable of paying ourselves. To make the way to you in relationship with you that we cannot make for ourselves. And so, Lord, as we celebrate this, I pray that we would not stop merely in enjoying and celebrating our salvation, but that you would work in our lives and we would cooperate with that work to be transformed. Every day of our lives, become more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would help us to discern how to integrate all of these spiritual habits that we have been talking about, prayer and giving and worshiping, studying and embracing your word and fasting into our lives in a way that is not rote, that is not legalistic, that is not about a burden, but is instead about how do we become more and more like Christ? How do we focus more and more on you, Lord, that we might become the people you call us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we prepare to depart and go into the world as, as, as the beacons of light that we are, we want to give you a chance to respond to all that you have heard this morning, what God has laid on your heart this morning. And as you contemplate how to grow that relationship with Jesus Christ, we need to recognize that it, it is all, everything I said about fasting and these other habits is predicated first and foremost on you having that relationship with Jesus Christ. That without that relationship in Jesus Christ, fasting is just an exercise in misery. And so if you do not yet have that relationship with Christ, if you've not yet trusted in Him as your Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you, invite you, implore you to accept the gift of grace that God holds before you. To stop trying to save yourself by doing all the right things and behaving perfectly and stressing out and, and trying to never make a mistake because you will make mistakes. And you cannot save yourself. But instead, you would trust in Jesus Christ and accept the grace He offers. If that is something you would like to do, something you have done recently, something you are ready to do or would like to know more about, then as we worship in song, I invite you to come to the front and and talk to Pastor Neil and myself. Let us pray together. We can celebrate together. And for all the rest of us, I just pray that you would spend time not only today, but in this coming days, to really wrestle with these habits, these, these patterns of, of behavior that are commended in Scripture, that are expected of Christians, that have, that have drawn Christians closer to God for centuries, and really work through how to begin to apply those and incorporate them in your everyday life and experience here in the 21st century in Lake Ridge, Virginia. Let us worship. Mm -hmm.